Well, if you were here last week, Scott, in his sermon, touched on today's gospel reading from Mark. Scott was discussing last week the way of glory as contrasted with the way of the cross. And Scott pointed out the disciples were eager for the way of glory, and they did not understand nor comprehend the way of the cross. Our gospel reading began with Jesus for the second time, not the first time, the second time, instructing his disciples about his impending death. He said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Jesus was clear. And then Mark notes in verse 32, the disciples did not understand Jesus, and they were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask him for clarification. Well, as we heard in our reading this morning, then the disciples, not understanding, fearful to ask Jesus any questions, continued on their way with Jesus. And instead of asking Jesus for clarification, they instead argued with one another. And what were they arguing about? Who was the greatest? That's right. They argued, they disputed which one of them was the greatest. I want you to imagine that argument. Well, I was holding the baskets when the loaves were multiplied. Well, I was beside him when he healed the paralytic right there. You were over there. I walked on the water. You did not. <laughs> I was at the first wedding when he made the wine. I was on the mountain when he was transfigured and on and on. They were so full of themselves. They touted what made them look good. But yet they refused to be honest about their humanity, about their failures. They so promoted themselves, they were blinded to their own faults. They had not believed in him yet. They had doubted him. They were afraid of him. They were not full of faith. And yet, but look at me. They only mentioned their successes. The disciples were enamored with the way of glory, so much so that they could not comprehend Jesus' way. Jesus' way to forgiveness and eternal life, the way of the cross. The disciples desired glory for themselves so much so that they argued and disputed with each other about who was best. There, what we see is that selfish ambition has blinded the disciples' eyes, ears, and hearts from hearing and understanding Jesus. And that's the topic before us in James chapter 3. If you want to turn in your own Bibles to James 3, it's towards the back. In the blue Bibles, it's on page 1012. I encourage you to turn there so you can follow along as James is addressing selfish ambition. James, Jesus' brother, is writing to the church. And here, he takes on selfish ambition. We began with verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James is an eyewitness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus' brother. 
He's writing to the very early church as an eyewitness to instruct them on how they should live and how they should not live. And he writes this, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Our gospel reading calls out the disciples for their own jealousy and ambition, complete with Jesus' words, if you want to be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. You've got it wrong, Jesus says. The way of the cross, God's kingdom initiated in Jesus, is upside down from the priorities and ways and knowledge of the world. The way of the cross is to follow Jesus' example of humility, of love, of grace, and of mercy. And James continued in our epistle reading. Now remember, he's writing this to the church. You adulterous people. Not exactly a great opening statement. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The church here was obviously not following God's ways, or at least some of them. Men and women in the church were instead following their own selfish ambitions. The wisdom of the world, as James is describing it in this passage. And in doing so, they were making themselves not just opposed to God, but James says, enemies of God. Now, as a follower of Jesus, through faith in his name, you have access to forgiveness of sin new life, and new purpose. Renewed relationship with God. His peace that passes all understanding whether life's going well or whether life is confounding. Ultimately, you're gifted with eternal life with God after death. And James makes the point, as a follower of Jesus, that new life that you've received is to be marked by obedience to Jesus' instruction, to God's word, marked by his wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. Now, James first identifies that the wisdom of the world, selfish ambition, is the source of nothing good, disorder in every vile practice. And then, in verse 17, James describes God's wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's a pretty stout list of descriptions for God's wisdom. Let's take a look at each word, pure, Literally sacred, clear, or pure from every fault, not blemished, and not carnal. Then peaceable. This is a word we don't use very often. Relating to peace or bringing peace with it. God's wisdom brings peace with it. And it implies freedom from worry or anxiety. God's wisdom brings peace and not worry. Gentle, patient, or equitable, or considerate. Open to reason. Now, this is an interesting adjective, open to reason. 
The wisdom from above is open to reason. Well, it literally, this Greek word literally means easily obeying or easily persuaded or submissive. So in that context, God's word isn't submissive to anything. God's word is supreme. In context, it must reply to God's people. And that's how I'm viewing the use of this Greek word, to the behavior of anyone following God's wisdom. To God's wisdom, they will be easily obeying. They will be submissive. They will be easily persuaded by God's wisdom. They're attentive to it. Then full of mercy and good fruit. Well, mercy, compassion, kindness, they'll be full of that. And then they will bear good fruit. And as Jesus has used that term, God's kingdom fruit, that's the fruit that James is referring to. They'll be impartial. They'll not be prejudiced. They'll be unwavering in holding to God's word. And then finally, they'll be sincere. They'll be genuine. They'll be without hypocrisy. So God's wisdom from above will mark people with these attributes. Take a look at the list. Sacred, pure. They'll be different from the world. They'll be free from worry. They'll be gentle and considerate. They'll be submissive to God's instruction and guidance. They'll be full of compassion and kindness and good fruit. They'll be unwavering and they'll be without hypocrisy. Lord Jesus, make us as your people like that. And James contrasts it. What would be the opposite of this description? Without faith, without God's wisdom. Well, you take the opposites of those words. You'd be impure and carnal, lacking peace and fraught with worry. Impatient, closed to God's wisdom. Lacking compassion and kindness and good fruit. You'll be prejudiced and insincere. Without Jesus, apart from faith in his name, those are the descriptors which will mark you. Now remember the disciples. They were full of selfish ambition, so they weren't following God's wisdom. They were following the world's way. But they were with Jesus. They could see him. They walked with him. They were right beside him. They bragged about all of that as they argued. They were right there when he did healings and miracles, and yet, because of selfish ambition, they could not understand God's wisdom. They could not grasp God's plan. They could not receive his teaching or his instruction about his way of the cross because they were blinded. They were without God's wisdom, blinded by their selfish ambition. The disciples' eyes, ears, and hearts were blinded by selfish ambition, and they were there. That's a cautionary tale for any who would say, I believe and follow Jesus. And as they followed the wisdom of this world, their selfish ambition, they were marked by these attributes. Until, until they submitted in faith to Jesus, and it was at that point that they were transformed. Not that they were perfect, but that they were transformed so that God could use their weaknesses rather than celebrating what they did right and hiding what they did wrong. I know you've seen this in others when you're able to admit you're wrong, even though you don't like it and even though it makes you look bad. More often than not, 
God will use that in others' lives. God can bring good fruit from humility, from a willingness to own your own stuff, rather than a facade that says, look how great I am. Jesus desires his church to be marked by that first list. That's a promise to you. Even if you don't have many of those things now, or you have some of them but not others, or depending on the day, you struggle with that list. God's word written by James makes it clear. As you grow in faith, you will grow in your reflection of that first list of attributes. Sacred, pure, different from the world, free from worry, and on the list goes. And you will grow to know his peace and yield his fruit. Apart from Jesus, you are destined to be marked by that second list. You may look good on the outside, but on the inside, these are the attributes that will mark you impure and carnal, lacking peace, fraught with worry, closed to God's wisdom. You will not have God's peace or his wisdom or his fruit or God's gift of eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. These two lists on the slide provide a stark contrast, and I hope you're paying attention. I pray you are not blind or deaf to God's instruction for you this morning. If this morning you sit and you know you're separated from God, whether because you've wandered away or because you've never bowed your knee to him, I hope you're paying attention this morning. I pray that day by day you will turn to Jesus, submit to him, follow him, and thereby know his wisdom from above and be filled with his peace no matter what. James closed his instruction on this issue of selfish ambition this way. In verse 6, James said, verse 6 of chapter 4, Therefore it says, well, what's it that James is referring to? God's word. Therefore God's word declares, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then verse 10, James proclaims, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.